excited to, to share a word with you this morning uh, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been going through a series, uh, a look at 1 Corinthians, as we felt like that book in particular has been speaking to where we're at as a church and our church family. And so I'm really excited uh, to keep going with that this morning. And I want to intro our message today uh, by acknowledging and, and bringing our attention to the fact that there are so many uh, world records uh, that have been set in the Guinness Book of World Records and, and other records you can find online by people that just do the craziest of things. Maybe you've read about them, maybe you've heard um, d about different records people have set and just how time-consuming they were and how uh, dangerous sometimes. Uh, like the one in particular that I was looking up was a guy by the name of Nick Walenda who's known for his um, tightrope walking and just how he's, he's free, free walked. He's not harnessed or anything across uh, tight ropes that are super lengthy distances, the Niagara Falls, um, parts of Grand Canyon, things like that. Um, setting records, just crazy what people will, will do to set a record. Um, and also in sports we see uh, the, the extreme lengths that athletes will go just to get the competitive edge, uh, just to be more prepared to excel uh, in their sport and in their craft. Um, I know of uh, players that have been superstar caliber that have played extremely injured with torn Achilles, uh, with, with the flu, uh, and, and going through very uncomfortable training, things that none of us would just willingly want to subject ourselves to, but they did to, to excel, uh, for, for getting that competitive edge and, and being the best that they can be. I've also heard, kind of lumping into to all this same idea, of people who have done crazy things like camping out for the latest iPhone. In fact, there's a guy that set a record uh, for longest camp out for the iPhone, I think four it was, which is, I don't know how many years ago now. Uh, he camped out 10 days at the a Apple store and set up a tent and camped out just to get the first in line for iPhone 4. And so it's just, it's been kind of funny. Maybe you can think of a few examples uh, yourself that you've heard or people you know that have gone to extreme lengths uh, for, for some reason or other. Um, and that's, that's what we want to look at and talk about this morning. Um, I told Pastor Todd, even though he's not here at this moment, uh, that I would humor him uh, because the last uh, kind of little bit I want to bring to our attention that I'm sure many of us have heard is a commercial for an ice cream treat that had a really catchy line, and I'm going to be really cheesy with it this morning, and I invite you to laugh at me, okay? Like, please do. That would be just fine. And, and it's for Klondike Bar. And so if you all have seen that, you remember, it was, what would you do for a Klondike Bar, right? Go ahead. Come on. Laugh a little bit. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to be cheesy and twist that a little bit. Uh, as a kind of a catch phrase, catchy phrase reminder question for us, and it's what would you do for the Christless heart? It's really hard to come up with words that rhymed with Klondike and bar. So I'm going to go with Christless heart, a heart that doesn't know Christ. And that's what we want to ask and, and be thinking about this morning as we dig into the passage um, coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 19, but I want to give you a, a kind of a brief summary of verses 1 through 18. Um, as Pastor Todd shared last week uh, out of chapter 8, chapters 8, 9, and 10 really go hand in hand. Um, when Paul wrote this book, he didn't write them with chapters and verses. Those were added later. 
And so these go really well together. If you haven't had a chance to kind of sit and read them all in one sitting, I would strongly encourage that uh, just to kind of see the flow um, of that. But in verses 1 through 18, Paul goes on this, this mini rant, really, um, and we see all throughout the book, uh, and we've preached about this, we've talked about this in the last, really since the beginning of the series, that the immaturity of the Corinthians caused for him to take moments and rants to reestablish his authority as, as someone called by God, as an apostle, as a leader of the church, um, and, and talk about that for a minute so as to share the important biblical truths and things that he's trying to encourage and challenge them in. Uh, and he goes on to, to talk about, in verses 1 through 18, the rights that he has uh, as an apostle, uh, the, the things that, that he would be owed or due to him, not from an entitled standpoint, but just from a cultural and, and, and biblical standpoint from what Jesus talked about uh, for submitting to leadership. And, and he, but he goes to say, I forfeit those rights if they're a hindrance to the gospel. And so he's setting the stage for what he's getting to in chapter 19, showing them an example and challenging them to do the same, to put aside things that we may be owed or, or are permissible, as we talked about uh, with, with food sacrifice to, to idols uh, last week, so as to not hinder the gospel from being uh, preached. And that's where we pick up in 1 Corinthians 9, Chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 19, and I'm going to read 19 through the end of the chapter. And it says this, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the, we to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games does, uh, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's pray. Lord, would you just reveal to us the things in our hearts um, that you want to speak to this morning? The areas and ways in which we're, we're fixated or we're prideful, uh, the things that, that keep us from obeying the Great Commission. And would you just help us this morning, God, to, to draw closer to you uh, and to leave here uh, more on fire than maybe we even were when we walked in. And just thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I believe Paul in, in verses 19 through 27 um, is really saying two things that, that go hand in hand with one another. And so I want to just break those down with you for a few minutes. I uh, really have two points for you um, as far as what we see Paul talking about how his example was set and, and the challenge he's, he's giving to the reader. And so the first is this, it's to be incarnational. Uh, that phrase, that word even, incarnational, is not in our text, as you noticed, but, but that is kind of the summation of what he's talking about, and I want to break that word down. Uh, the word incarnation comes from the Latin word incarno, uh, incarnational, uh, and it means to make into flesh. That's the literal meaning, to make into flesh. Um, the definition goes on, whereby, uh, in, in Christianity, the om, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient Son of God agreed to wrap around His eternal and invisible being, flesh and bone, and take upon Himself a human nature, thus becoming a, flesh, a fleshly bridge between the sovereign God and sinful man. That's a little more elaborate definition. Jesus was the ultimate incarnation. He came down as divine being, as God, and put on literal human flesh um, so that he um, could fulfill what was required, what was needed um, as the sacrifice for our sins. And we know that. He, to the nth degree, was the incarnation. But we see here that Jesus didn't just put on skin. He didn't stop at, let me just put on human flesh. In fact, as we read the Gospels about Jesus' interactions and, and, and how he lived his life, he was constantly meeting people where they were at, in their sin, in their brokenness, um, in, in all the things that, that they were struggling with, and he continues to do that this day. I, I invite you even to reflect, if you, if you identify as a Christian this morning and hear the moment in which you surrendered to Jesus Christ for the first time. When it, when it dawned on you, when his spirit opened up your heart and mind to realize who he is and, and what that means for you, that in that moment, he met you where you were, that, that you were yet a sinner, as the Bible says. You, you weren't a number one draft pick for, for heaven. You, you, were, you were dead in your sins, on your way to hell. And that was each and every one of us before encountering Jesus in a real way. He met us where we were. didn't require us to, to try to work our way and accomplish some level of morality or spirituality to meet him where he is. And so that is the incarnation, and that's the model. And, and that is something we can do. No, not in the same sense that he did, being God, taking on human nature. We already have human nature. But how does that example apply to us? Well, we can meet people in their brokenness, right? The word Christian, I'm sure you've heard this before, maybe you've looked up, the word Christian literally means little Christ. Like, like when you say, like, there's, you know, Johnny and, and little Johnny, and little Johnny is just a, uh, you know, a, a, another version of, of his dad, Johnny. That, that's that's the, the analogy there, is we're little Christ. That's what, that's what Christian's supposed to be. So it's supposed to mean that we are little examples of what Christ did. And so for us, we can take that challenge. We need to take that challenge and that responsibility to, to meet people where they are at. And Paul realized that. 
You see, one thing that, that Paul didn't do, and he talks about here in, in giving very specific exam, examples about meeting the Jews where they were at, those under the law, those not under the law, is Paul did not major on the minors. And we can say that same thing about Jesus when we read about him. He did not major on the minors. He did not make a, a, a stumbling block, a wall, uh, something that, that separated him from other people or from sharing the gospel out of things that were trivial. And instead, the number one focus for him was to make Jesus known, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and to, to love his neighbor as himself, to, to share that with them. And that's our model. That's to be incarnational. I want to say a little something because I, I know what we start to think, and, I, and I've, I've been in this frame of thinking before too, is there's got to be a line, right? Like we're not supposed to, he's not saying here, go sin, go, go be like a sinner so that you can win a sinner. Go, go do sins, things blatantly against God's word with people that are doing them so that you can reach them. Not what he's saying at all, right? That would contradict scripture. So yes, there is a line in there. Barring sin, barring blatantly engaging in actions and, and activities that are, are directly against God's word, we are to meet people where they're at, though. And I think that is the, the challenge and hurdle that many of us need to reflect on and think about is, where have I drawn that line too far back? I didn't just, I didn't just draw it uh, at... You know, and set up accountability. We talked about not wanting to toe the line to sin, but after you've set up that accountability and, and you, you know the boundaries you need to have, in what ways are we engaging the world around us? And, and there's a lot of ways to do that, and it's, it's a challenge. I don't know about you, if you're on social media, if you watch the news for any amount of time, but this world is, is, is challenging, especially for the evangelical Christian. There's a, there's a lot of things that are that are challenging um, in your interactions. And, and thank God we live in a country where we're not yet persecuted to the degree that other countries, Christians are in other countries. Uh, but we see uh, with family members, friends, coworkers, uh, people at the grocery store, people on, like I said, social media, they're, they're very conflicting, very um, emotional you know, views. And, and, and so what is our response in that? Well, I think we have one. Right? I think there's a way in which we can engage and find common ground with people so as to share the gospel with them. I think there's a way in which we don't just cut out everybody that doesn't say or believe the exact same thing as we do. And I think that, that that's the calling and, and challenge from Paul and ultimately from Jesus to meet people where they are. And, and that's what being incarnational means and is about. Paul was willing to adapt his lifestyle in order to meet people in their lifestyle and effectively share the gospel with them. He engaged preconceived notions, right? He engaged worldviews. He talked about the Jews, of which he, nationality-wise, was Jewish, right? Not by, not by religion or practice, if you will, because the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior, so he was no longer Jewish in that sense. But he became and related with the Jews culturally so he could share it uh, with, with those people. He did the same with Gentiles, which were just non-Jewish people, 
of which he was not, right? He was Jewish culturally. He was not Gentile. He was not Greek. He was not Roman. He was not from another place. But he became like them in ways that were not sinful so that there wasn't a stumbling block to share the gospel, that there wasn't a dividing wall that didn't need to be there to share the gospel with them. What does that look like for us this morning? What does that look like in our context with our families? I think there's some specific ways to answer that question, but I think for each and every one of us, it could be a little bit different. But are we willing to ask that question and think about what we would do for the Christless heart? I love the way Warren Wearsby, um, a Bible scholar, said it, and I'm just going to read it word for word. Um, really about Paul and this whole idea of being incarnational. He says, to immature people, Paul's lifestyle probably looked inconsistent. In reality, he was very consistent, for he was overriding purpose, uh, for his overriding purpose was to win people to Jesus Christ. Consistency can become a very legalistic thing, and a man can become so bound by man-made rules that he has no freedom to minister. Paul followed the example of the Savior and humbled himself to become the servant of all. End quote. And that's just it for us uh, this morning. Now, Arlington Baptist Church, um, in, a, in a neighborhood, in a city, uh, where there are lots of lost people, right? in a world, in a country, in a world, that are, there are lots of lost people. Uh, we, we are all connected uh, to, to people that don't know Jesus. Uh, whether it's maybe only a few or it's many. Um, and God has called us to engage and meet them where they are, being incarnational. And the second point is this, and I believe he, Paul really draws this out um, in verses 24 through 27, and it's to give our best persistently. To give our best persistently. Now, I heard this crazy story a few years ago, and I looked it up to make sure I had at least the general facts right, um, of a former Navy SEAL um, who wanted to, to qualify for a race. And in order to do that, he had to run 100 miles in 24 hours. I, I thought, there's no way. Like, that, is that a typo? Like, uh, he had to run 100 miles in 24 hours. And so, you know, being, being a SEAL, and he was at least maybe more, he was more prepared than I would have been. Uh, but I mean, that's still just a, a crazy feat. And, and, and he says that he finished, I believe it was somewhere between 70 and 80 miles in like 12, 13 hours, um, which, which sounded really good. But that's when it started to get really hard. He had stress fractures. He had all kinds of just muscle pain and injury happening at that point. And in order to qualify for this race, he had to decide if he was going to keep going, to which he did. And he ended up finishing that 100 miles in 24 hours to qualify for the race. Needless to say, he gave his best, and he was persistent. He stayed with it on something that probably felt impossible. It probably felt extremely hard and painful. He stuck with it. And I'm sure many of you have heard the story of uh, Marathon, where we get the term marathon that we label the, the race that's 26.2 miles. Um, and it's uh, allegedly a uh, legend that um, a, a guy ran from um, 
the battle where the, the Spartans were uh, you know, facing the Persians and uh, all the way to, to Athens. And I guess the particular area was Marathon, and that distance was 26.2 miles. And he ran the whole way to deliver a message. And apparently he, he died upon delivering that message, but he did get there and he did deliver the message. And you see that what persistence that must have took you know, for him, especially to, that it cost him his life. You know, these, these racing analogies, and Paul even uses them here because uh, the Corinthians had their own, like, mini version of uh, the Olympic Games. It was called the Isthmian Games because they lived on an isthmus, if I'm saying that word right. Uh, they had their own races and things like that. So he was using something that communicated uh, well to them as an analogy. And we can kind of see that in, in knowing what we know about races. But he, he asked this question, um, and, and I'll bring it, make it a little bit shorter for us today. Are you winning the prize? Are we running in such a way as to win the prize? I want to ask you, this is, this is going to be a tough one, especially if we're, if we're honest. Um, if you worked for yourself, right, if there was a duplicate of you, and you owned your own company, and, and you hired yourself to, to work for you, and that version of you gave the commitment that you currently give to God, uh, the, the devotion, the dedication, the commitment to sharing the gospel, would you accept your own attitude and work ethic? Would you find that to be sufficient? It's a, it's a, a tough one to ask ourselves. <laughs> if we're honest. I think the point in thinking about that is do we feel the weight of being disqualified, as Paul says here, of falling short of the prize? See, everything we do is supposed to be unto the Lord. Chapter 10, there's a, there's a verse that says just that. Uh, he kind of brings back around the food, sacrifice to idols, and then as Paul does in typical Paul fashion, he, he says, let me just add everything also. Let, let me give a few examples and then just say everything. We see him do that in a lot of his letters. Um, and he says, um, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, anything, do it all for the glory of God. And in Colossians 3, he, he says a similar thing. In everything we do, do it as unto the Lord. For it is God who are serving, not man. Is that something we think about? Is that something that's in the forefront of our minds? Joyfully, not begrudgingly, not out of duty. And this can easily slip into a workspace salvation. That's not what we're talking about. We're saved by grace through faith. That's it. But that response, that understanding is to joyfully run the race set before us. To, to share the gospel with all nations, starting in our backyard, starting with our family and our friends. Right? That, that's the joy set before us. Do we run in such a way to win the prize? Do we feel the weight of being disqualified or falling short? And I want to make a little caveat here. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole this morning. What I'm talking about is have we understood it? Have we truly understood it from the beginning? Maybe you've... you've Claim to be a Christian for years and haven't, haven't seen it or thought of it this way. I'm talking about the way Scripture talks about it, right? And our commitment and, and our emphasis on the gospel. 
Have we truly like seen that? Have we felt the weight of that? It's not too late if we haven't. And it's not something to, to be shameful of. But to recognize and say, God, I want you to use me. I want to be incarnational. And I want to give my best persistently each and every day. We can find joy and peace in that. We can be assured we'll hear well done by a good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter if we win one soul or a thousand. It's not a scale on that. It's not a competition in that way. But God knows our hearts. And he sees and knows the ways in which we live our lives and approach people around us. Races require, and we think about running a race, and, and go with me in the analogy here. Races require that we're registered, that we're in the right place. You know, Pastor Todd shared a, a story of uh, cross country a few weeks ago, how he, he ran the wrong course. He was in the right place. I guess he, he ended up on a different course. Uh, they require that we're, you know, that we're registered, we're in the right place at the right time and within the correct boundaries of the course. But having all those right to win, we have to do our best. Right? And, and of course, to ultimately win, to there to be one winner, you'd have to beat others. But the point is, you, you, you have to do your best to win. And that, that's the analogy of the life that we're, that we're given. We have one life. I know we hear that all the time. You hear that from pastors all the time, is life is so short and you get one life. But do we feel the gravity of that? Do we feel the weight of that? joyfully, but with, with the challenge, with the urgency that Jesus gives us that Paul reiterates here, to be incarnational, to give our best persistently. Do we do everything as unto the Lord? Not for Pastor Todd, not for Pastor Nick, not for whoever else, ultimately for Jesus. In submission to him, obedience to him, following his word as he set it down before us. I want to end, it's a long quote, uh, from uh, another Bible scholar uh, named Charles Spurgeon, um, who wrote this, uh, in the, about this passage. He said um, this quote, so follow with me here. I, I don't actually have it on the screen, but I'll read it slow. It says, the passion for saving sinners is implanted into believers for three reasons. First, for God's glory. To change sinful people so they pant after an increase of holiness, to render stubborn wills eager for the spread of obedience, and to make wandering hearts earnest for the establishment of the abiding kingdom of the Redeemer. These are mighty feats of the divine grace of God, and they all bring glory to him. The second reason, so the first is for God's glory. The reason why saving sinners should be a passion of believers is for God's glory. Number two, the passion for saving souls is implanted in believers for the church's good. And here we are in the context of a local church. There can be no doubt that the passion for winning souls expends the church's energy in a healthy manner. Churches that do not care for outsiders quickly suffer from disunity and strife. What unites a church completely is the calling out of all its forces for accomplishing the Redeemer's grand objective. This passion for saving souls not only employs 
but also draws forth the strength of the church. It awakens the, church, the church's latent energies and arouses its noblest abilities. Communion and service and success welds the saints together and is one of the best securities for mutual love. As a common desire to defend their country uh, welds all the regiments of an army into one, so the common desire to save souls makes all true believers akin to one another. Is that true about us this morning at Arlington Baptist Church? And thirdly, this, passage, this passion is most of all for the good of the individual possessing it. Work for Jesus keeps us strong in faith and intense in love to him. Soul winning keeps the, keeps the heart lively and preserves our warm youth for Christ. It is a mighty refresher to decaying love. Love for souls will in the end bring to all who have it the highest joy beneath the stars, the joy of knowing that they have been made the spiritual parents of others. As I close, um, and Spencer can uh, make his way up for our invitation, um, I just want to challenge us, kind of wrap this all up with a few thoughts and a few questions. As the main points this morning that, that Paul talked about, we see in the text that, that he draws out that Jesus first set the example of to which he was actively pursuing was to be incarnational and to give our best persistently. That's pretty simple. It's hard enough that, it, that we won't have it mastered by tomorrow, but it's simple enough to grasp. That we, can, we, can, we can see that and we can, um, we can know how that's practical for us this morning. I got to say, I was challenged to think, and I got to say this to, to us as well here, I'm sure glad that Jesus didn't let comfort and preference dictate his decisions. I'm glad that he didn't major on the minors. I think we all should be, because if he had, there'd be no hope. We, we wouldn't be able to, to have right relationship with Jesus. Right, we saw moments, especially in the garden, where he's like, Father... I see what's coming, and, and it's heavy. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, God, is there another way? To which he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he follows through with it. If he had my attitude, if he had your attitude, would he have kept going? I don't know, right? That, that's something we got to ask. That's something we got to grapple with this morning. To be challenged by in love. I, I hope that we, we don't leave here feeling condemnation, that we're, that we're not good enough. Because the, the amazing thing about the gospel is that we're not good enough. That, that, that is true. So we don't have to leave here beating ourselves up about it because the point that we weren't good enough is why Jesus came. Right? He gives us our worth and our value. He gives us our eternal purpose. And so in relationship with him, we can have joy to seek after these things. And where we fall short, we, we recognize that and lay that before the Lord and ask him to help us. There's a joy, there's a hope in that. Not a discouragement, but there is where there's conviction and challenge that we need to let that run its course with us. Do we really know him and appreciate what he's done if we're stubborn, if we're comfortable, if we're selfish? If those are the mentalities that dictate how we relate, interact with each other, with our church, with the world around us, do we really know him and appreciate what he's done? 
See, I would wager that we're either unsaved because we, we really haven't understood it or that we're, we're, we're new in Christ. Even if we feel like we've been following Christ for years, I would wager that we either aren't or we're, we're extremely new in Christ and we need to seek discipleship from those who have been walking the road a little more if we're stuck on our preference, if we're stuck in comfortability. I would wager our steps would be to recognize that and to seek that out uh, from others, to seek out that mentorship, that discipleship in community and be taught that importance of laying these things aside and engaging that world around us. I wanna pray and just invite us to respond at this time. Whatever that is that the Lord's putting on your heart, that we joyfully recognize who he is and what he's done and allow him to show us the ways that we can take steps deeper into that this morning. Let's pray.